1: I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now think for a minute about the people in your world. What do they think of your commitment to them? How would you rate your faithfulness? Does your loyalty ever waver? Do you have one person with whom your contract is non-negotiable? Once two friends were fighting together in a war, the combat was ferocious and many lives were being taken. When one of the two young soldiers was injured and could not get back to the trenches, the other went out to get him against his officer's orders. He returned mortally wounded, and his friend, whom he had carried back, was dead. The officer looked at the dying soldier, shook his head, and said, It wasn't worth it. The young boy, overhearing the remark, smiled and said, But it was worth it, sir, because when I got to him, he said, Jim, I knew you'd come. Make the most of your relationships. Follow the advice of Benjamin Franklin. Be slow in choosing friends and be even slower in leaving them. It is here in the Archbishop's Corner where Archbishop Leonard Blair leads us to the knowledge that will help us make the most of our relationships, yes, with one another and also with God. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for leading us into the Archbishop's Corner to show us the way into a closer relationship with God and with one another. How are you?
0: I'm fine, thank you.
1: Let me ask you, are you ready for Christmas?
0: Well, I don't think anybody's ever really ready for Christmas because uh, no matter what your state in life, uh, most people have a lot on their list um, oh, to true. celebrate the season well. So I think as we record this program, I'm in pretty good shape.
1: Now, usually when people ask that question, are you ready for Christmas, they usually mean do you have your Christmas shopping done, the tree up, decorations complete, Christmas dinner planned, etc.? Is there such a thing as being spiritually ready for Christmas?
0: Well, I think you know we have a loaded answer for that.
1: That's yes, the, that's what I want planning. to get
0: at. All right. It's all about the reason for the season, which is Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem of Judea, Messiah and Lord. And so anything we can do to prepare for that is what really matters.
1: Tomorrow is National Roots Day. No, I beg your pardon. National Roots Day. It's a day you that you mean in...
0: like rooting in the stadium, or uh...
1: no, no, like your ancestry, your history, your family oh, history, oh, 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 our, okay. our heritage, that kind of thing. You see, All right. collecting information about family roots is made easier when families are gathered together during the holidays. So it's often interesting to learn about the lives of our ancestors. You know where they came from and their struggles and their accomplishments. Do you know where many of your ancestors came from?
0: Well, uh, th- my mother's side, uh, the Polish side, yes, it's uh, rather easy to track, at least back to the uh, to Poland and to where and all that. I, although I can't say I've gone real far back. I don't really know how, what the state of Polish uh, sacramental records are going back before the 19th century. The Blair side, <laughs> my mother always said the Blair's were a kind of shady group. Uh, <laughs> I've not. I've done. I and my sister have done some genealogical uh, digging. On the online, but it's it's not clear it, it, It's clear that uh, they, they were in Detroit uh, around eighteen eighty, but apparently they didn't come through Ellis Island and uh, they, they must have come through Canada into Michigan or through one of the other ports. and so we've not really been able to um, to find uh, uh, some of our listeners may remember I think it was after the summer I talked about uh, a little trip I took uh, during those months to uh, Ellis Island in New York. Uh, and with my relatives' names from my mother's side. But uh, it's interesting. Maybe someday I will be able to have the time and the ability to uh, uh, research more about where my father's side of the family uh, came from and how how they arrived in North America.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting endeavor to, to find out a little bit more about your history, the family history. huh?
0: Well, I was told that if in, in, in not everywhere, but in, in a lot of places in Europe, if you can trace back your family within, you know, to like the 19th century, there's a good chance that many of them probably had been there for a thousand years. Uh, you know, there are there are exceptions in places where there were a lot of upheaval of people, and and God knows in the 20th century the upheaval of people in Europe has been absolutely astounding. You know, devastating really, uh, the, the internal migration in Europe because of the two world wars and communism, Nazism, but Apart from that, people were pretty stable, and uh, it's interesting to know.
1: Yeah, I, I think it, I think it's interesting. It's interesting that we have this day called the National Roots Day around Christmas. When we just celebrated on Tuesday, the gospel was all about the genealogy of Jesus, tracing his roots back, I think, 41 generations.
0: Yes, you know, those. Uh, that's a very interesting thing. December 17th, the first day of the O Antiphons, the gospel is the genealogy of Jesus, uh, at the beginning of the gospel, I believe, of Matthew. And, uh, of course, these are theological statements, you know, uh, the two genealogies that are given in the two gospels, uh, are, are meant to be theological statements about, about Christ's lineage. And, uh, well, I mean, they can be historical as well to a certain extent. Uh, but, uh, you know, reading those, people might find it a little bit of a tongue twister, the priest yeah. or deacon reading the gospel, all these names of who begat whom. Uh, but uh, it's really, uh, Scripture scholars uh, have can give us some very thoughtful reflections on the people listed there and what this means spiritually and theologically.
1: Well, this Tuesday is Christmas Eve, and it's a tradition for many to attend a midnight mass at church to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and usher in the Christmas Day festivities. Traditionally, the midnight mass started at midnight, just as Christmas Eve ended and Christmas Day started. However, now many churches have masses in the late afternoon or early evening on Christmas Eve. What's your thoughts about celebrating midnight mass at 10 o'clock, Archbishop?
0: Well, I think, uh, first of all, in the old days, uh, no masses were ever in anticipation neither on Sunday, nor Christmas, nor any day. Mm. Uh, The first moment you could celebrate Christmas was on uh, the stroke of midnight uh, of December 25th. And so Christmas was so special that they wanted to have mass at the very first opportunity they could, and so it was at midnight. The Missal, though, uh, in Latin says nocte, it says at night. It doesn't say at midnight, but, but night. And now, of course, following ancient tradition, we begin the celebration with Vespers the evening before. So Christmas is uh, initiated uh, with the uh, uh, on Christmas Eve, this actual celebration of Christmas. And so uh, a lot of places, uh, because attendance at midnight isn't what it used to be uh, with all of these uh, vigil masses. And so I know that even at the Vatican, I believe the Pope celebrates Mass at 10 o'clock.
1: That's true. Yeah. And
0: uh, here at the Cathedral in Hartford, we also have the Mass at night, at 10 o'clock rather than midnight, because the attendance there was not what it it used to be either uh, at midnight. So it depends. So I'm sure there are, I know there are parishes that still retain it at midnight, and that's a wonderful thing, but others have it a little bit earlier.
1: We at St. Gregory the Great in Bristol will be having Midnight Mass at midnight, and we're going to be uh, broadcasting it live right here on WJMJ, as a matter of fact. Midnight Mass at midnight from St. Gregory the Great in Bristol. Oh, well,
0: if I may be a little more precise, the Mass to be offered at night is going to be offered at midnight.
1: Uh, okay, Other so places, it's not called, Mass at night
0: is at 10 o'clock, yeah.
1: So, <laughs> so the point you're making is it's not really called Midnight Mass.
0: No, at least not in Latin. Okay.
1: Wednesday is Christmas Day, and that's the celebration of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Is there anything that makes this Christmas in particular special for you, Archbishop?
0: Mm, well, I, um, you know, reflecting back... Uh, how many Christmases we celebrate at different stages in our life. No, I don't think, uh, I think we bring to every Mass, uh, we bring all that we are and all that we have at a given moment. And so obviously, what's on our minds and all the things that face the Church and our nation and our world today, uh, those are part of of what we bring to the altar and ask, uh, you know, God to help us and to bless us. So I guess in that sense, it does change from year to year, what, whatever may be, we may be thinking of. Uh, but uh, I think I, I needn't uh, repeat all the things that are going on in the world, our country, and the church that should cause us to present to God our needs and to ask God to bless us and help us to find a way forward that is in keeping with our call, Christian calling and bearing witness to Christ today.
1: That causes me to think that perhaps this is a, a good time for us to reflect on everything that's going on within our country, within our own personal lives, so that before we go to Christmas Day Mass or Christmas Eve Mass, that we bring those with us and and that becomes part of our prayer celebration of christmas the fact that we don't have to go through any of these challenges that we may be experiencing alone because christ himself has been born anew into our lives into our hearts this christmas eh?
0: yes and it's so important to remember that anything in the liturgy is not about uh it's not an ancient history thing it's not like remembering some event in history alone i mean it is historical but uh you know christ is alive And this is a living reality. You know, the Catechism says it so beautifully that the mystery of Christmas is fulfilled in us when Christ is born anew in us. Uh, That's more than just history. That means that, uh, you know, this is a dynamic spiritual reality. uh, uh, Imagine of Christ being born in us uh, through our faith, through prayer, through the sacramental life of the Church in particular, the Holy Eucharist. Those are the ways that the, the living Christ is, uh, is born again in us. Not symbolically, but really.
1: Thursday of this week is National Winers Day. And it's a day, believe it or not, dedicated to all the winers that you know, especially those who return holiday gifts and are not happy with what they have. Many people are less fortunate than others. Some don't have enough food to put on the table or the ability to put gifts under the tree. Some are fighting illnesses or don't have any family or friends to celebrate with. What lesson can be learned on days such as National Winers Day, Archbishop?
0: Well, you're always fighting these national days, Mm. and I have to say they must have been running out of things by the end of December, and so they had to put one in for winers. They couldn't think of anything else. (laughs) Well, you know, it's human nature. People... uh, you know, is for you know the old saying is your glass half empty or is it half full? I suppose the whiners are the ones who think it's always half empty. You know, there's a lot for people to be discouraged about sometimes in their own personal lives or how they see things going in the world. But people of faith, Catholic people of faith, Christian believers in Christ, we have no reason to whine. I mean, if we if we have our our cross, it's we understand. What the sufferings and trials and difficulties of life are meant to be in light of uh, of the resurrection uh, and the cr- and the cross. and so and what good does it do to wine? It doesn't change anything, and it just makes oneself and other people miserable. Mm-hmm. So uh, better to light a candle than curse the darkness.
1: Good point. Friday is the feast of St. John the Apostle. St. John was called to be an apostle by Jesus in the first year of Jesus' public ministry. He became the beloved disciple and the only one of the twelve who did not forsake the Savior in the hour of his passion. He stood faithfully at the cross when Christ made him the guardian of his mother. St. John is usually thought of as the eagle of theology because of the, the depth of his gospel. Any thoughts on St. John, Archbishop?
0: Well, St. John's Gospel is profoundly uh, theological and so very rich in the mystery of Christ. And tradition says he was the beloved disciple. You know, at the, 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 the writer of the Gospel is at the foot of the cross. Mary being given to him as her, his mother and he being given to her as a disciple, representing all of us. So yeah, St. John, um, any of the saints and the apostles, the reflection on their life, you know, it's not just about what they wrote or what they did, but it's the quality of their life. Uh, as human beings who face the same struggles we do, the same doubts, t- temptations, failures uh, many times, and yet uh, holding fast to Christ and trying to live their life in an exemplary way to help others and to to be true to the gospel, That that's what every saint is about. And certainly the apostles are great models to us uh, for that.
1: Well, let's take now a look at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis, drawn from some of the Pope's writings. So I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. This is taken from Pope Francis' homily at the Casa Santa Marta, delivered on October 3rd of 2014, and it's called, What Does the Road to Your Salvation Look Like? The Pope says... What do I think my road to salvation looks like? Will it be with Jesus or someone else? Am I free to accept salvation, or am I confusing freedom with autonomy and asking for the salvation that I think seems right? Do I believe that Jesus is the teacher of salvation, or am I seeking and paying gurus to teach me another way? Am I going to choose the right path, or am I going to find refuge in rules and commandments written by men? Is this what makes me feel safe? Can this sense of security, if this is the right way to say this, buy the salvation that Jesus gives us freely, the salvation that is a gift from God? Archbishop, your thoughts.
0: Well, yes. uh, You know, when we think about um, the fact that so many people today, you know, the Holy Father refers to paying gurus to teach me another way, I think with profound sadness of so many people who have drifted away from the Christian faith or from the Catholic faith, and that naturally without this, they are often left with an emptiness, and they go seeking all kinds of uh, gurus or self-help things or meditations or, I don't know, everything under the sun. Crystals. Uh, Yeah, it reminds me that uh, some prominent person said they had lost their their faith somebody asked oh you've uh you've become a member of some other you know group and the reply was i said i lost my faith i didn't say i lose i lost my mind <laughs> you know yeah. that people can be drawn to all kinds of strange things that really uh in the end it's kind of sad because christ is the way the truth and the life and i pray every day for people who are falling away from their faith so the pope is challenging us you know or do we just put our faith in external things? Uh, that doesn't do it either, you know. Christ wants to, uh, your, your faith and love. He doesn't just want you to follow a set of, of rules, you know, that are dry or lifeless or without love. Mm. A salvation is a gift from God, but a gift to be embraced and accepted uh, within the uh, family of the church.
1: We've got several questions that have been submitted by the WJMJ listeners, but before we get to those questions, we take a look at our Gospel reading on this fourth Sunday of Advent. And today's Gospel reading is from Matthew, the very first chapter. After the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts.
0: Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to send her away quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife.
1: Archbishop, what are your thoughts as you hear this gospel account by Matthew?
0: Well, we all know the story of the Annunciation, which comes from the Latin word, you know, announcement, the telling to Mary by the angel that she was to be the mother of God. That's the annunciation to Mary. But I think we can say that the gospel we just heard is something of an annunciation uh, by an angel, again, this time to Joseph. And uh, it's very important to give Joseph his due. You know, not much is said in Scripture about St. Joseph. Mm. But what we do know is enough to to make us uh, venerate him as we do and for him to take his place in the great unfolding drama here of human salvation. So this message of the angel reinforces the fact of Mary's virginity that uh, by human standards without the heavenly assurance, it, Joseph could well have thought that, that Mary was not a virgin uh, and uh, who, though espoused to him that she was not. And uh, so his idea was, well, we need to call this off, this, uh, this marriage. But uh, the angel says, don't be afraid, Joseph, to take her as your wife, because what she has conceived is of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Joseph, uh, obviously, uh, we can't appreciate or understand the nature of these revelations that are described. I mean, we understand what they say, but for the experience that Joseph had, but clearly, when he it says when he awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took his wife into his home. This powerful message and this powerful act of faith on the part of Joseph, because we have to understand that the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, they they did, could not understand the fullness of what was revealed to them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, this you know, uh, this had to have required a tremendous uh, amount of blind faith uh, to accept these assurances that came in this mysterious, but extremely compelling uh, way. And of course, the rest is history.
1: Well, this is certainly one of the few passages of scripture that gives us a look at the kind of man that that Joseph really was. Can you tell us more about that?
0: Well, I don't know what more we can say uh, because scripture doesn't say much about it. There are traditions and such about Joseph. But what it does say is enough for us to understand uh, his role and his faith. In a certain sense, Joseph is the complement He's the fulfillment, in some respects, I suppose, like John the Baptist of the Old Testament, you know, a person of uh, of this kind of uh, biblical faith in the promises of God uh, that compelled him to dutifully do what he was asked, even without understanding, really, what this all meant. And yet he had the faith uh, and the trust in God. Uh, to do it.
1: One of the things that impresses me about what, what Joseph did, it says here that, that he was unwilling to expose Mary to shame and decided to divorce her quietly. He could have taken the other extreme and, and told everybody how, how wonderful he was and how bad Mary was.
0: Well, the, I believe the social uh, punishments in, at that time, if Mary had been truly guilty of what was thought, uh, would have been very, very severe. Yeah, we're not playing around here with something minor. It's it's extremely uh, these are these are very uh, dramatic realities at the time. Joseph chose to to act the way he did uh, because of the message he received.
1: Let's uh, now take a look at some of the questions submitted by our listeners. Walter from Orange says, "My sister, who lives out of state, told me her pastor told the parish they should not celebrate Christmas during Advent. They were instructed not to decorate their homes either." What are your thoughts on this?
0: Well, Walter, I don't want to um, contradict a priest who's trying desperately, valiantly, to uphold how the Church wants to celebrate Christmas as opposed to how the world wants to celebrate Christmas, but I have to say maybe I'm just getting uh, older and tired. He's right to say that, you know, Christmas really begins on December 25th. Uh, even though ne- the next day the, the department stores are going to be celebrating July the 4th already, you know, with <laughs> yeah, what they right. got out, or Easter or something. But it's hard uh, to resist that uh, trend, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Um, so I look at it that, uh, yeah, decorating the tree earlier, putting out some lights, and listening to some Christmas music. You know, is, is not necessarily, uh, if somebody's doing that, I'm not going to condemn them for it. But it would be better to wait. Um, and certainly, more importantly, in our own inner spirit and what we're doing and how we're observing Advent is the most important thing to do during Advent and to celebrate Christmas when Christmas comes. Yeah, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas during Advent. Uh, we, But I, I guess my, my little cop-out here would be to say that it's not wrong to pre- Completely uh, to to prepare to celebrate Christmas, you know. So you have to use a certain prudent judgment about uh, not overdoing it too soon. And, uh, and but if you if you spiritually and liturgically in your prayer and your you you observe Advent and Christmas properly, that's the most important thing of all. Even if you hang your lights up early,
1: I guess my pet peeve, Archbishop, is not necessarily prematurely celebrating Christmas. But the fact that when Christmas afternoon, the day Christmas afternoon, many people are already taking down their decorations and putting Christmas away when Christmas, the season of Christmas, has just started Christmas Day and lasts until the, the celebration of the baptism of the Lord.
0: Well, I know, but we can say that, but uh, the re- that's the reality, you know. And so rather than criticizing uh, people for things that they don't even understand, what we're talking about. I think it's better for us just to try to, uh, in our own way to, to, you know, obviously for a person who goes to church to Sunday mass, they will, they understand that Christmas continues and that we were still celebrating it as a community. Um, so, as for the rest, well, we, I'm not going to make any uh, harsh judgment. Well, I'm not making any
1: I'm not making any harsh judgment, but I think that we can all identify with the celebration that comes with the birth of a baby. And the fact of the matter is that celebration doesn't end the day the baby is born, but it continues long after with the family and friends celebrating and getting together and visiting the home and and taking pictures and everything else that we do at the birth of a newborn baby. So we can understand then why the celebration of the birth of the Christ child should be something that lasts long after just the day of Christmas. Yes, I, I certainly agree. Anne from Litchfield says, why do we celebrate the visit of the Magi on a day different from Christmas? Also, someone told me there were more than three wise men who visited. Is that accurate? <laughs>
0: well, I've never heard of there being more than three. Uh, but the, uh, well, it's just the tradition. Uh, we, if you're going to celebrate Christmas all on one day and that's it, well, then I suppose you would put them all together. But uh, in the tradition uh, that goes back to really ancient times... These things are separated out uh, as the gospel unfolds, and so that's just the way we do it.
1: Will from New Britain says, I regularly attend daily Mass, and I must admit, I get a bit confused at Christmas time. The very day after Christmas, we are celebrating the Feast of St. Stephen the Martyr, and later in the week, we celebrate the Feast of St. John the Apostle. Why do we jump around so much at Christmas? It feels like we lose the focus on Jesus' birth.
0: Well, will, you have to understand that that uh, in the church's tradition, um, it's not just Christmas is not just about the baby Jesus. It is about the the incarnation, it is about the nativity of the Savior. And so I don't know the whole history of why these feasts are celebrated when they are. Uh, but you know, uh, there's a great lesson to be learned from the Feast of Saint Stephen that uh, this child who's born into the world is meant to be a sign of contradiction and uh, a savior who calls us to lay down our life for him. So, of course, you have the massacre of the innocents by King Herod, very much associated with the birth of Christ. In fact, that's also celebrated that week. And Saint Stephen is the very first martyr, the very first person to give his life for this uh, this child. So. There's a tremendous uh, richness. It's not just uh, about the Christmas story, but the Nativity, the Incarnation, who this child is. Uh, When you look at 2,000 years of Christian history to find the origins of feasts like St. Stephen or St. John, to appreciate uh, how these things developed. We sometimes today are very rationalized in our approach to things, very rationalistic. I'm not saying that we, we should be irrational. But I'm saying that uh, the mystery of the Incarnation, who Christ is, what he asks of us, and the traditions of when, why some of these feasts were put in the way they were, it makes for a very deep appreciation of Christian history.
1: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you conclude our program with a prayer and a blessing?
0: Lord, as Advent comes to an end, we end as we began by saying, Come, Lord Jesus, you who were born 2,000 years ago, continue to come to us in the sacraments, and you will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. So as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, we thank you for the salvific nativity that brought you into this world so long ago. We ask you to open our eyes in faith to your coming to us now, especially in the Holy Eucharist and in your word and scripture. And we ask you too to prepare our hearts for that day when you will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And may he grant you a, a very blessed Christmas.
1: Thank you, Archbishop. We appreciate the opportunity to be with you in the Archbishop's Corner, wishing you a very blessed Christmas as well and hope you get some time to relax and just enjoy calm, serenity, part of what Christmas means in our lives today. Thank you.